in church? Man, we're having some church this morning, aren't we? Listen, if it was up to me, we'd just go home right now. You're not supposed to agree with that, okay? Uh, but man, it has been an incredible, incredible morning. And I said this to the first uh, service, and I want you to know this. I'm not, I'm not just saying this because I'm the pastor here. Obviously, I have a biased opinion. But man, God is doing something uh, special in our church. And um, it's just amazing to see lives change and to celebrate that together as a church across all of our campuses, how God is using you and using our church in and through the upstate. And so just thank you. Just thank you for being um, available and saying, hey, I just want to be part of this. However, God is calling me to that. Some of you, I know this might be your first Sunday or maybe you've been here just a couple weeks. Man, we would love for you to be on board with what God is doing here and just get involved somehow. And, and so it's just amazing to see the lives change, the life change that is happening um, in this place. If you've been with us, we are really kind of concluding a series called Jesus, A Life. I mean, can you believe we're, we are on week 15 of this series? Um, it's crazy. We've been walking through the gospel of Luke, coming off the birth of Jesus and coming, uh, we'll conclude next week with Easter Sunday. With that being said, I just wanna take this moment to really press on a couple things. One is our Good Friday service, as Matt mentioned um, during our host time. That's Friday at our downtown campus. It's a beautiful time for all campuses to come together uh, for Good Friday at 6.30. It's gonna be a great moment. I hope that you and your family can make it. Um, and then of course, Easter Sunday, huge Sunday. Uh, we'll have three services, 8.30, 9.50, and 11.10. And so make sure you come out with that. I told our first service too, we have a ton of these invite cards and uh, they don't do any good staying here. <laughs> and so this is what I wanna challenge you with. This is really challenging you to get out of your comfort zone, but who knows, your one step of getting out of your comfort zone could really change a life. It really could. And so this is what I want you to do. As you leave here today, take six of these and, um, and I want you to really challenge yourself to invite one person a day this week. So I think I did my math right, all right? You don't have to do it today, it's the Sabbath, okay? Take it off, all right? Um, start tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, six days. So just, and be creative about it. Don't be weird, okay? No one likes a weird Christian, all right? Be like, hey, you know, if you were to die right now, would you, you know, don't do that, okay? Um, but maybe you wanna be at, you're at Starbucks, pay for someone's drink and say, hey, I would love for you to join me at church. You got a church home somewhere. Maybe bake some goods for your neighbors. Who doesn't like baked goods? Amen, all right? Um, invite them to church. Do something, just challenge, I wanna challenge you. Grab a handful of these and do that. Um, it's gonna be a great, great Sunday. But in this series, we have really on Palm Sunday, which is today, we're walking through what is traditionally called Holy Week as we look to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and really this entire series can be summed up in one verse, one comment that Jesus made. The gospel writer Luke writes it down um, in Luke 19, 10, where Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now think about this. I know we've been in this series. We've covered a lot of ground. It's been really, really good. Luke was not one of the disciples. He was a physician by trade. And he went and um, really interviewed a collection of eyewitnesses and got their stories and, and their writings and their experiences and put them together. But if you look in this moment or throughout scripture in the gospel of Luke, you really see that this statement Jesus makes to, that he came to seek and save the lost is played throughout. 
Chapters one through four is that Jesus came. We see the birth of Jesus. We see um, Jesus at 12 years old in the temple teaching and doing some things. We see his baptism. We see um, Jesus being tempted before he starts his ministry. That's kind of Jesus came. Then we see Jesus sought or he, he was seeking. Really chapters five through 21 is Jesus doing that. He's desiring to have a relationship with people. And so that can look anywhere from he calls the first disciples, hey, come follow me. He's going to people like, I, I think about, do you remember the woman that we said, I forget which chapter it was, um, where Jesus is going through the crowd. It's kind of at the height of his ministry and this lady with a blood disorder touches his garment and she's healed and Jesus calls her daughter and just incredible relational moment. That is Jesus seeking relationship. That's why he came. And so then chapters 22, 23, and 24, where we're at today is the saving part, that he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, the lost is kind of, in my opinion, it's a churchy word. I'm not trying to downplay it. If you've grown up in the South, you probably have heard some pastor at some point in time say, you know, we need to go after the lost. I remember, I didn't grow up in church. And um, so I started coming to church when I was 14. And sometime in high school, I remember the pastor saying, some of you in the crowd, you're as lost as last year's Easter egg. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? First service thought that was funnier. But um, anyway, it stuck with me, you know? And, and I'm thinking, what, is, what does that even mean? And to kind of, I don't want to dumb it down, but in its simplest term, being lost in, its, in a spiritual context really means, to be quite frank, separated from God. It means that, yeah, while you might know that you're sitting right now at Upstate Church Five Forks at 1110 hour and where you're at and how to get home, that spiritually speaking, you are far from God. Why are you far from God? This problem that we all have called sin. Sin has separated us from God. He's perfect and holy. And guess what? You and I are not. And so it has caused this chasm between us. So Jesus's purpose was to come to seek relationships with people like you and me, and then to bring salvation, to pay the price, to, to fill in the gap of that chasm so that you and I can have a relationship with a holy God. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you think church is dumb or not, one of the things that we can all agree upon is that our lives are filled with pain. Pain is a result of sin. And every single one of us, we have experienced all kind of pain in our life. Maybe it's a season of pain. Maybe you're like, it's not a season. It feels like five years of this pain. Because sin produces things like brokenness. It produces hurt and anger, resentment, bitterness. It creates all of those problems. So our lives are filled with those things. And so what we're going to see this morning is an incredible moment of Jesus experiencing pain. But before we do, I just wanna throw this out. You know, if you've been here, I like to think through questions that are thought provoking in a sense. I wanna kinda, I want you to really consider this question I'm about to ask of you very, very carefully. When, when you experience pain or when pain happens in your life, and it will, it's not an if, but when pain happens in your life, who or what do you look to for hope? When pain happens in your life, who or what do you look to for hope? 
Now, for some of us, we might quickly say, well, our friendships, the relationships that we have. We'll run to people that we know, that we trust. We'll get, you know, kind of get their thoughts. They encourage us, pray for us, whatever. Some of us might say, hey, you know, I go to a counselor. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you find some, some wisdom in that. Some of you might turn to drugs, prescription drugs. You might deal with alcohol or some other type of addiction to cope with that pain to kind of numb those effects. But what I want to encourage you, I know it's like the Sunday school answer and what every pastor's supposed to say, but I, what I want to suggest to you this morning is the only way for that pain to be satisfied and for you to find true hope is by turning to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can fill that gap. And what we actually see is taking a step further is that Jesus being the son of God in this moment of pain that we're going to read about, he turns straight to God. He submits to God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. We're going to read this. I'm going to set some context in this. Um, and if you remember last week, we looked at Jesus in the final days. He's around the table with his disciples at the feast of the Passover. Tells them, hey, this is the last time I'm going to partake of this holiday with you because I'm about to suffer great things. And he even said, one of you here is going to betray me. And he even then takes a step further and he tells that um, about Peter denying him before the rooster crows three times. And Peter's like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to die with you. I've got your back, um, Jesus. So we get to this moment. They leave uh, what's known as the upper room and they come to this place. And so let's read this together. Chapter 22, verse 39. It'll be on the screens. I'm going to read this first verse and unpack it a little bit. And he came out. And he went, as with, uh, was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Okay, so the Mount of Olives is a pretty steep mount. Um, it's not like a mountain, it's more of a hill, but it is very, very steep. And at the base of the Mount of Olives is this place where they're at. It's uh, called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's right off the Kidron Valley, just east of Jerusalem. And it was a place that Jesus went to for rest, um, you know, to be with his disciples, kind of regroup very, very often. We see this because Judas actually knows exactly where he's at. So Jesus comes to this place. Now, what's interesting is being the Mount of Olives, as you can imagine, is that it is a, I don't know if it's right to say orchard. I don't know, but there's a lot of olive trees, olive trees all over the place. And actually the word Gethsemane translates into olive press because in the garden right there as they harvested these olives, there would be a huge stone with a little hole in a trough and they would extract the olive oil from the olives in that place. And so Jesus is there with his disciples in this moment. And what's so interesting, think about this, just connecting some dots. If you think about the entirety of scripture, here is Jesus in this moment with his disciples in a garden. Now, human history started where? In a garden. Genesis 2. We see God made Adam and Eve and human history started in a gar garden. Chapter 3, sin entered into where? A garden. Then if you go all the way to the end of Scripture in Revelation 21, it says that the redeemed believers that we will live in a garden city. So isn't it interesting, it's not by coincidence, that life began in a garden and life will finish in a garden. And here we are really at a crossroads of all of human history. Jesus is about to go to the cross. 
And once again, we find him in a garden. And where Adam failed sin at the beginning of time, Jesus, who we see in scripture and who scholars would say is the last Adam, conquers sin. He actually takes it all on. And so we're going to see that in the verses that follow. Let's follow along the next verse. And when he came to the place, he said to them, says to his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And um, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Repeat that with me. Not uh, my will, but yours be done. All right, let's say it. Not my will, but yours be done. Powerful, powerful statement to show the heart of Jesus. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may uh, not um, enter into temptation. Okay, if you're taking notes, first point this morning, just the observation. We see the agony of Jesus. Man, Jesus is stressing out right now. He, he is distraught. I mean, think about this. Could you imagine knowing that you are about to die? And not only did Jesus know he was about to die, he knew that he was about to be humiliated. He was about to be mocked, spit on, abused. He knew all those things were right around the corner. He also knew that his friends, the disciples, they don't really have his back in this moment. I mean, they're sleeping. And he knows that Judas, we're about to read this, that he's going to eventually betray him. So Jesus is stressed out. And I don't know about you, like um, me and Sloan kind of, Sloan found this um, reel on Instagram or maybe on TikTok or something. And it is, it, some of you know this, but she was kind of joking, like if I was to pass away, she would have no idea like how to pay the bills and like, you know, like who's Fannie Mae? Is that someone that I need to pay, you know? Um, whatever, it was like this reel, it's it kind of funny. But on a serious note, if you have experienced loss, you know what I'm talking about. It is stressful. I say this all the time to grieving families. Death is the most certain thing about us, but it brings a lot of uncertainty. And when that takes place, it's kind of like, I don't know how to pay the bills. It's stressful. Now think, if I knew I was going to die in just a few days, I would be stressed. I, at least my anxiety would increase because I'm thinking about my kids and my wife and my family and things I need to do. It puts it in perspective really quick when you know you only have a few days to live. And so with that, Jesus is in agony. Scripture says he's in agony. Luke says that his sweat became like great drops of blood. Now, scholars will argue this back and forth. Some scholars believe, hey, it actually was blood. Some would say, hey, Luke's saying it's like blood. All we know at the end of the day, he is uh, perspirating profusely. <laughs> Try to say that twice, all right? Man, he is sweating bullets, he is in great agony, so much so that he goes to God in this time of prayer, very similar prayer that you and I have probably experienced and said, God, take this away from me. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Can't do it anymore. Man, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm in a lot of anguish. I'm hurting. I need you to take this. But what we, but what we see about Jesus, he didn't just say, take this, God. I can't handle it anymore. He said, but if it's your will, let it be done. Your will, not mine. 
And I can't help but think that in times of pain, in times of hurt, are we running to God like that? Because I'll tell you, selfishly, I run to God in pain. I say, God needs you to take this from me. You need to do something real quick. I can't handle this anymore. I'm stressed. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I need your help. It's all about me. But then what I love is that then you see that Jesus, it says, prays more earnestly. He doesn't stop praying. He doesn't say, you know what? Okay, you're not listening to my prayers, God. Now, I, I love this. I don't know if you've ever heard. He's, he's a communicator, preacher, author. Um, plus, he has a really cool accent, Al, Alistair Begg. He, um, or Alistair Begg, he says this, that a lot of times when the human um, experience during pain is for us to do one of three things, if not all three, that we doubt God, we disown God, or we deny God. Man, think about that. When we experience pain, we often say, okay, God, I guess you don't listen to my prayers. You don't answer prayers. You don't hear this. You're not really real. We disown them saying, hey, you are real. I believe you then. I'm not going to believe you now. Or you deny them saying, you're not the God that I thought you were. And that's our natural experience. But Jesus in this great agony goes to God in this, this pain. He submits to God. And then he says, God, if you're willing, take this cup from me. What is the cup? Because he's not like holding like a golden goblet, you know, from like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever, you know, Indiana Jones, you know. I mean, he's metaphorically speaking, this cup, what Jesus is about to take on is the sin of the world. Your sin and my sin. Think about that burden. You think Monday mornings at work is hard? Think about what Jesus is about to experience. And so he takes on this sin and the anguish and the pain and the price that we deserve in this moment. I don't blame him for asking God to take it, but he goes through this great agony. Why? Think about this. Jesus took the cup so that you and I, we don't have to. Jesus took the cup so you didn't have to. Man, he paid the price. He took the wrath, the judgment, the punishment of our sin so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. He took on that pain so that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. I mean, think about that. Of course, he's in great agony um, in this moment. And then to think about this, we see this in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant where the prophet Isaiah, 700 years approximately before Jesus says, he, we said this last week, he will be crushed for our transgressions. He'll be crushed for our sin. Now think about this. Here he is at the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press. And the most valuable thing about an olive is not the skin, it's not the meat of the olive. I don't even like olives, okay? But it's the olive oil. It was a staple of society then. It's a staple in our house. It was the most the, the thing that held the greatest value, but it had to be crushed to get that. Now think about this with Jesus. His body was crushed and his blood was shed to have the greatest value for our sin. Right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, all this agony, he turns to God. Let's continue with this story because as soon as Jesus comes and the disciples are sleeping, he's like, get up that you may not enter into temptation, we see that Judas is right there. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12 who was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. 
But Jesus said to him, can you imagine this moment? Jesus looks him in the eye, says, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those, were, um, those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? AKA, you want us to take this, these guys out? Jesus, the disciples are like, we'll take them. We got them, all right? And, and then one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now Luke spares him, but it's actually Peter. <laughs> Luke doesn't throw him under the bus. All the other gospels do. <laughs> they say, it was Peter. It's not us who did it, all right? But Peter strikes the servant's ear in this, and Jesus immediately says, no more of this. And he touched the servant's ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priest and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, how have you come out um, as against a robber with swords and with clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour the power um, and the power of darkness. Man, what a moment. Now, this is usually the part of the story, let's be honest, where we look at Judas and say, man, how could he do that? Man, he saw all of these things. I mean, he, he was one of the 12 disciples. He just spent three years of his life seeing amazing miracles. He saw Peter walk on water and Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus calm the storm. He saw the couple loaves of bread and a couple fish feed the 5,000. He saw all these miracles. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And we don't know why Judas, maybe it was greed because he got the money. Maybe it was um, hey, you know what? They're coming after Jesus and they're gonna come after him. They're coming after me next. So I, I'm out. This is not what I signed up for. Who knows? Maybe he just said, you know what? Jesus, I thought he was king. He's not king anymore. I thought he was gonna overthrow the government. He's not gonna be that. But here's the thing. This is usually the point of the story. Where we're like, man, why would Judas do that? And we try to point our fingers and say, shame on him. But here's the reality. I'm about to step on your toes. We are Judas, you and I are Judas. How often do we betray Jesus? Day in and day out. And I, I can't think and, and not, I can't help but think of in this moment, in a most intimate way, that Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. And I don't know, I don't know like growing up, if you heard people say this, you know, before I knew Jesus, you know, and say a cuss word, and people would say, you kiss your mom with that mouth? Have you ever heard that? But like, I can't help but think, like Judas in one side of his mouth for three years was like, I'm a follower of Jesus. And like that, just betrayed him with a deadly kiss. Man, are we living our lives in that way? That with one side of our mouth, we say, yeah, I love God. I was baptized and yeah, that's awesome. I'm gonna go to heaven. But our lives do not match up with that. And in this moment, we see this betrayal of Jesus and then it's intersected with this inc incredible encounter of grace. I, I love this because I'm just gonna be honest and real. If I'm Jesus right now, I'm like, you know what? Kill them all, let's run, <laughs> you know? Stab them all, let's get out of here. I don't wanna be arrested. But after Peter cuts off this servant's ear, Jesus says, hey, stop. And he heals the servant's ear. And you gotta imagine Judas is right there witnessing all of this. I can't even imagine what's going through his mind to be like, man, I, I messed up. Judas was at that table. Jesus knew 
Judas was going to betray him. And just moments before, at the Lord's Supper, at the last feast of the Passover, Jesus said, one of y'all are going to betray me. He knew exactly who it was and still invited Judas to that table. And here we are in this moment of great agony and God, or Jesus submits to God. Once again, he could have said, you know what, kill them all. That's not what I signed up for. Once again, submits to God in this betrayal. And then in closing, we see the confusion of the disciples. We see the confusion. In this, the first incident and the second. I mean, think about this. The disciples in Jesus' greatest time of desperation and pain, Luke only talks about it once, them falling asleep. We see in the other gospels, this actually happened three times. Jesus is like, man, I'm really hurting. I'm gonna go pray and talk to God. Hey, stay here and pray. He comes back, they're asleep. He goes off again in great pain. He comes back, they're asleep again. Think about this. I mean, these are his closest friends. In a time of pain, Jesus is not counting on his friends to bring them hope. Who is he counting on? God, his father. He's not saying, hey, Peter, could you help a brother out? Give me some words of encouragement. You got a good book I could read? Man, he's going straight to God. Only God can satisfy that. And so during that pain, not only are the disciples confused because they're like, what's going on here? But then you have, um, in, in this moment, uh, Judas is like, okay, what is all this gonna go out, go about? I'm kind of pretending, whatever. We know the fate of, of Judas, but then what is happening in here? They're just kind of confused. So they're like, hey, let's fight. Peter's like, I'll cut off his ear. And really what should have been happening is that the disciples should have been praying instead of fighting. They should have been uh, learning and really instead of boasting, they should have been just right there by Jesus' side praying for this cup that Jesus was about to take. And so here's kind of the closing question as I started with. When you are going through pain, when you are going through heartache, when you are going through a season or it seems like forever long, where are you finding your hope? I hope it's in Jesus because Jesus felt this pain. And Jesus, the son of God, he went straight to his father. He didn't go to here and there and try to look for multiple ways and self-help books and all these other things. He went straight to God. God is the only way to heal us of the pain. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean that it's gonna be immediate. I think we buy into these lies so often that as believers, that if you just pray this prayer, all of a sudden all pain will just disappear like some genie in a bottle. If you're not a believer, you might struggle with saying, well, if God's so loving, then why does pain exist? And pain's here. As we go through pain, where do you find your hope? And let me beg you this morning to find it in Jesus. So as we close, we're gonna, this is a great time for us to respond as we celebrated baptism today. We saw people that put their hope in Jesus. Man, put your hope in Jesus this morning. If you wanna to talk to me, I'll be down front. You can talk to me. If you wanna to talk to me afterwards, you just need some prayer or you're going through a difficult situation and you're struggling to put your hope in Jesus. And we wanna be here as a church to walk uh, with that with you. So let's pray together and then let's respond and worship. Father, we are so thankful that your son Jesus went through such great agony, but also willingness to take that cup of pain, of sin, of shame, not by his own doing, but of ours. And as we mentioned and we see, we are Judas. We are the ones that betray day in and day out. But because of your grace and your forgiveness and mercy, 
we can come to you, confess, ask for forgiveness, and God, you bring great healing. You came and sent your son Jesus to come to seek and to save the lost. And part of that salvation is the forgiveness of our sins. And so God, I pray for the person that's here that's just struggling through that and they haven't turned their hope to you. They've looked every other way but to you, God. And so Father, I pray they do that this morning. For us who are just going through a hard season, Father, let us continue to trust and to lean on who you are and who you call us to be, to find that hope only in you, not the things of this world, not in temporary things, but eternal things. And that's you, God. So Father, as we respond, as we worship in closing, let us celebrate a God that we can come to that gives life and that we put our hope in. It's in your son's name, amen. Hey, let's stand, let's close and worship together. As I mentioned, I'll be down front. If you would like to talk or just pray, I'm available. But let's find our hope in Jesus today.